This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the Good Friday evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for April 7, 2023. The title of the message is, He Humbled Himself. Now, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 2. You can follow along if you have a different translation or um, uh, you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the bulletin, page 2, or the slide uh, behind me. We have been going through in, the, in our morning, uh, Sunday morning series through the book of Philippians, and, it, and uh, these, these two messages here in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, uh, fell exactly on uh, uh, this season of, of Easter, Good Friday and Easter, and so uh, it just worked out very well for us to, to look at um, the mind of Christ and how, uh, how he redeems us through his humiliation, and through that humiliation, uh, climaxing in the depth of his humiliation at the cross, in his burial, and then back up to reascend to, uh, to his exaltation, to his resurrection. And so we're going to look at the first part, his humiliation, this evening on this Good Friday. And then on Sunday, uh, the resurrection, his exaltation, from verses 9 to 11. There's, uh, here now then, the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this evening. There's an old reality television show some of you might know. It's called Dirty Jobs by Mike Rowe. Um, it's all about those, those jobs that we think of uh, as being really dirty and disgust, disgusting, going in the, in, into those jobs that, that no one else wants to do. Um, we think that they're beneath us or it's just... You know, it's, it's just it's gross. We don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to get our feet wet. Uh, but somebody's got to do it, right, if you think about it, right? So the whole premise of the show is, this, is that Mike Rowe takes on all of these jobs that no one else, that most people would, would, would n- never want to do. So he has the whole gambit of these jobs from coal mining Right, going deep down to the bowels of the earth to mine uh, some of the dirtiest substances in the world, coal, uh, to a sewer inspector, someone who voluntarily goes down into the sewers to make sure everything is working right. Uh, and then I, it just, you know, I, and I, if I remember correctly, there's also other jobs like um, porta potty technician, right, or septic tank technician. I mean, these are jobs that, that uh, are on the bottom of our list if, uh, 
if I know most of you. Um, and the point of the show is, is to show everyone the dignity of every job, no matter how low, no matter how dirty, no matter how humbling it may be. Tonight on this Good Friday, we come to another dirty job, so to speak, a job that we think is beneath us, but somebody's got to do it. On this Good Friday, somebody else did do it. Somebody else humbled himself and did what was beneath him in order to serve and to save sinners just like you and me. On this Good Friday, we remember how Jesus humbled himself, did what was infinitely beneath him to serve and save us by his death on a cross. Dirty, beaten, bloody. So how do we remember what Jesus did for us? What did Jesus do for us? First, we remember his humble surrender of self in the face of self-centered pride. Here in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul wants the Philippian Christians to stand united in the face of persecution. And they've been bickering and arguing amongst themselves because of their pride. They want to assert their own privilege and prerogative and and they want their own way. And so they fight, they backbite, they argue, they divide. See, that's really... Paul is here reminding the Philippians, reminding us that, that whenever there's infighting and division, it is, a, it is a result of our self-centered pride. Everybody wants their own way. And that's really what, what division is. We divide because, no, because the other side is not following us. It's when everybody wants to assert their place their power, and their prerogatives. In other words, pride is all, it it leads to division. It's pride that wants to get our own way, and so we fight for it. And so what's the answer to this divisive pride, this self-centered pride? The answer to the haughtiness of this pride is the humility of power. Look at verse 5 with me. Paul grounds uh, the, the mind of humility for the Philippians. He tells them that this is what they already have. They just need to access it. Maybe they've forgotten it. Maybe they don't want it. But this is what they have in the gospel. This is what they have in Jesus. And so to take advantage of the mind that they already have. And what is that? The mind that was already in Christ. The ground of their humility in the humility of of Christ. Look at what he says there. Have this mind, right? Or attitude or mindset or perspective among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so what is that mind? What is that attitude? That though he was God, he didn't assert his divine nature or power, right? He didn't, he didn't assert it. He didn't demand that people follow it. He didn't exercise the power and the privilege that he had. That though he was in the form of God, verse 6. Right now, the idea of form here isn't just an external form or an outline, but it also includes the essence of something. 
It's the fullness of the form on the outside and on the inside. So being in the form of God doesn't mean he merely looked like God on the outside, but that's what he truly and really was. He was God. He is God. So this means that he, that, that the divine nature that he possessed as the Son of God, the God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Uh, he was truly God. Uh, it also speaks to his preexistence from all eternity, leading up to and through his incarnation. The point that Paul is making here is that, the, is that harmony and unity begins with humility. Laying aside your power and prerogative. That of all the people in all the universe, Jesus being God could have asserted his divine status and power as God, but he chose not to. He who created the universe and ordered all things in history to come to pass, who who ordained the end from the beginning and everything in between, who created every molecule and every living thing and every one, who numbers the hairs on our heads and won't let even one fall without his permission, who knows all, sees all, and he does all. His attitude was not to assert his own power and prerogative, not to hold on to it as his right, but he surrendered it all. That's the humble surrender that the Apostle Paul is describing here, a mindset, an attitude. He let it go. And he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto and fought for. He let it go. Uh, the mindset that Paul is describing here is, is a way of, of thinking that leads to a way of living. You can't live if you don't know. And humility is letting go of how you think people should treat you. It's letting go of your own interests, your own pride and prerogatives in order that you can get, get over yourself, get beyond yourself in order to serve someone else. See, here's the thing. You cannot, you cannot serve others if all you care about is yourself. And if you do try to serve others in a self-centered way, you're just going to use other people. Uh, for you to climb up the ladder, for you to, to feel respected, for you to, to uh, feel some kind of satisfaction uh, instead of genuinely trying to help someone else because they need it. Humility, humility means letting go of yourself in order to sacrifice for others. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a hard time uh, letting go of your your, your privileges, your prerogative? Do you find it hard to let go of grudges uh, and to make it hard, make yourself, make your, your heart hearted and, and be unforgiving towards someone who's wronged you or, or you think wronged you? Do you find it hard to let go of your right to be mad at someone so you don't or you won't forgive or reconcile with them? Do you find it hard to let go of getting your way and always being right so you argue about every little thing with other people? 
Do you find it hard to let go of any perceived slight so that you spin everything that someone says as an insult? You see, haughtiness, a a, a pride of your heart, always wants to um, fight for yourself while humility wants to let self go. This might also be why letting go or losing something we grasp so hard onto can hurt so much when we lose it. Corrie ten Boom said this, you must learn to hold everything loosely, everything. The father may want to take it away, and when he does, it will hurt you if he must pry it from your fingers. This is what I call white-knuckling something, right? We all know this. We hold on to something so tight that it hurts no matter what we do. Whatever we hold to, uh, uh, when we hold things way tighter than we should or when we need to, uh, whether it's taken from us or we still have to hold on to it, it hurts. It hurts to hold on to something super tight. And it hurts to have it ripped from our fingers because, of, because life happens. And so how do we keep from white-knuckling everything? We do it by letting go of self in order to serve others. What, what are you white-knuckling? What, what is it in your life that you are, are so focused on, holding on to so tightly that it hurts just holding on to it? Or it hurts because maybe in, in God's circumstances, he's prying it from your fingers because he knows that you're holding on to it too tight. Maybe it's an idol. Maybe it's an obsession. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's, it's something in your life where you find your hope and your identity in and you're never going to let go. If only we would hold on to Jesus as tight as we hold on to whatever it is. And so Jesus now is teaching us uh, that because he let go of of his own prerogatives as the son of God. He can let go of, the, of, of his divine prerogatives and the glory that he had in heaven. We can let go uh, of whatever it is that we're holding on, so tight onto. You can't serve somebody when you're holding on to, to yourself so tightly. This brings us then to our second point. We remember not only his humble surrender, but we remember his humble surrender in order uh, to, to see his humble service in, in sacrifice for us. What do we see? We see the humility of himself, the humility of self, because he didn't count equality with God something to assert or something to grasp then what did he do? Look at verse seven with me. He made himself nothing. Now this is what we call the self-emptying. In Greek, the kenosis of God the Son. It didn't mean that he let go of his deity or his divine nature, right? But the prerogatives of deity, right? The power of deity for a time 
so that he could take upon himself our human nature. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Just like in verse 6, having the form of God, he also took on the form of a servant. And that servant was a human servant. Uh, having the outward form and the inward reality, the inward substance, that he truly became a man 2,000 years ago. This is what we celebrate every Christmas. The incarnation of God to become a weak, frail, little baby, made like us in every way, yet without sin, to become a sympathetic high priest who is able to save us to the uttermost. He knows exactly what it's like to be us because he became one of us. That's what Paul means here by taking the form of a servant. And being found in human form, look at what he does. He humbled himself, right? This whole idea, he didn't just humbly, uh, uh, he didn't just humbly assert himself before the creation of the world, uh, before he became incarnate, but he humbled himself in the very act of being incarnate. The Son of God became a weak, frail, poor servant. And this is why we, again, why we celebrate Christmas. The creator of the universe became a, a created being in our humanity. I don't think our finite minds can properly fathom the depths to which Jesus descended, condescended, stooped down as God to become one of us, to become a man. That God is so infinitely higher in dignity and character and glory and power than we are, that he is the creator, the supreme sovereign of all the universe, infinitely supreme in majesty and glory and power than we could ever be. And so the Son of God became a man just like us. And the closest thing that I think we can think of is like, is the, the order of magnitude of condescension of, for example, for us, human beings, voluntarily becoming an amoeba. Something so small, something so insignificant, something so simple, and yet God transcended that infinite chasm between creator and creature that the Son of God became a Son of Man. That divine Son of God became a human being just like you and me. That is not only an infinite chasm, but an infinite humbling of the self. And he did it in order to serve and to save us. Look at verse 8 with me. He took on our humanity and humbled himself in order that, that he might become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became a humble servant in order to render, render humble service in obedience to God. In doing so, rendered a humble sacrifice. Jesus said over and over again, this is why he came. He said of himself, the son of man, I'm the son of man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah's suffering servant. That's the language. I think the apostle Paul is taking that language of being a servant 
uh, and bringing it in from Isaiah 53 uh, and, and applying his humiliation here, his, his humbling of himself as a servant. Uh, Isaiah 53, uh, he grew, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten uh, by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears silent, so he opened not his mouth. See, Jesus's, Jesus, all, everything that Jesus did in humbling himself, surrendering his divine prerogatives, taking all, upon himself our, human, our humanity, was in obedience to God who sent him into the world to seek and save the lost, to be the Christ who would live, suffer, uh, and die in our place so that we might be saved. And he, he did it all in obedience to God, even to death, death on a cross. He did it, he did that which was infinitely beneath him. And he did it for the benefit of others. To stoop down in order to lift up others. To serve so that others can live. Isn't that what a servant does? This is what we remember and celebrate on this Good Friday. When we remember what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago. This is how Jesus emptied and humbled himself in order to lift us up and to fill us up with his love. Uh, let, me, um, <clears throat> let me give you an illustration of, of what Jesus did. Uh, it, there's a story by an African missionary on his furlough home. He tells a story. Uh, in the part of Africa that he's from, the chief is the strongest man in the village. And that's why they made him chief. As chief, he also wears a very large headdress and a heavy ceremonial robe, signifying his place and his power. One day, a man carrying water out of a deep, uh, a shaft of, of, uh, uh, of a deep well. Uh, the, the wells, it's such a dry land there in that part of Africa that they have to dig these deep, deep wells. And, uh, and they put these footholds, they dig these footholds so that somebody can climb down into the shaft and, pick a, and carry a, a big bucket of water uh, and then climb back up. And so one day a man uh, went down and he slipped and fell and broke his leg. And he laid there helpless at the bottom of the well. And to get down to the bottom, you had to climb down. But the, here's the trick. You had to be strong enough to carry the other person back up. 
And, and so the chief, that's why the chief had to be the strongest man in the village who would be able to do that. So when he got news, got wind of, of this man who fell into the, into the well and broke his leg, he looked down and he saw this man's plight. And he, he, he felt compassion for him. And so what did he do? He took off his headdress and laid it aside, took off his robe and laid it down in order then to climb down, down into that well. He took the weight of that injured man on his shoulders and carried him up to safety and life. He did what no other man could do. And this is what Jesus does for us. This is what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago on a Friday night just like this on a hill called Calvary. He carried our sins. In, in a sense, he carried us on his shoulders. And he hung upon that cross that though he was God, he came down to rescue us by taking the weight of our sin upon himself. He laid aside his heavenly glory like the chief laying aside his headdress and his robe in order to come down and carry us up to safety and life. Do you see how he had to humble himself in order to rescue us from the deep, dark pit, broken and injured in our sin, having compassion upon us, he suffered and died so that we might be saved. He humbly surrendered his pride and his power and prerogative so that we might live. He humbly served by sacrificing himself, laying down his life so that we might be lifted up and saved. And it is this humble surrender and service in the gospel that now invites us to trust in him and to do the same. See, here's the thing. The cross is the perfect and only antidote to our pride. What better way could God have shown us the vanity of our pride by humbling himself in order to save us? See, he saved us by humbling himself, not, not standing in pride, but being humiliated, bearing our guilt and shame. That Jesus had to die in order for us to live. And what that ought to do then, it ought to humble us to the core. It ought to humble us and win us to the core because God so loved us that he gave his one and only son. And we were so sinful that Jesus had to die for us. And out of that self-awareness, out of understanding that, we then are saved in order to be humble, to, to have that same mind in order to let go, in order to serve other folks, other people. On this Good Friday, may you have this mind among yourselves, 
which is already yours in Christ Jesus. And now let us go out into the world and do likewise. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you on this Good Friday of the humility that Jesus showed us uh, and, and the humility through which he saved us. Help us, Lord, to have that same mind so that we might then serve one another because of, because of what he has done for us. Lord, let not anything be beneath us. May we be like Jesus and, uh, and serve others. We ask all of these things, O oh Lord, as we prepare now for the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.